Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about what's going on with the Lori Vallow Daybell case. As promised, we wanted to review some information that came out in regards to Charles Vallow's death, and then a couple quick updates of what's going on in general with the case. Yeah, I was very excited to see what came out. Pretty much as soon as we released our last episode, we were like, okay, things are moving. Yeah, things are moving. I think we have to just come to peace with the fact that it is a moving target and that no episode we release will have everything because the next day there's always something else. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So if you don't already, follow us on social media as well if you do want to keep up to date with this case. There's so many different cases going on between these people that there are a lot of updates each month. And unfortunately, we won't be able to encompass every single one the day it comes out, but we will make sure to share everything the day it comes out and then check back in periodically or on our True Crime Digests. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to review is a probable cause document that came out. And this is out of Arizona. So now we're leaving Idaho and coming back to Arizona. And it's the state versus Lori Vallow in regards to Charles Vallow's death. And it is, from what I believe, to be a 15-page document. However, we have only been able to get 13 pages of this document. And there is a lot of redacted information. We do want to go through the document because there is a lot of new information or some more details on some of the things that we did already know but didn't have all the details for. And for the redacted parts, we will mention what's redacted and what we believe it's discussing. And then we'll have a couple more updates at the end. I've also never seen a redacted document that wanted you to know so badly what was redacted. <laughs> like, for example, it'll say redacted name in parentheses, Alex Cox's widow. And you're like, OK, that's dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So a, a lot of names are redacted. Sometimes you'll see parts of a company. There's like a blank iCloud, Apple iCloud, wouldn't want to put Apple in it. And there's that kind of stuff. But there's also, I think probably we're going to find out stuff in the trial for both Tammy, JJ and Tylee. Yeah, exactly. And for Charles's trial. I think we're going to find out more detail about all of the shenanigans as things go. Yeah. Which I think this is one of like the only cases I've seen where I'm like, didn't know that. Didn't know that as like things unfold. I feel like normally you're like, okay, I have a pretty good picture of what happened, but not here. No, there's too many players involved. So there's too many things that were happening behind the scenes between a various amount of people. It's hard to keep track. For sure. For sure. And also we're going to like jump in in a second, but I'm interested to hear how people's thoughts on some of the players in the case change after hearing about this, because I certainly have some different viewpoints on people that were very close to Laurie. Yeah, absolutely. Than I did before. Yeah, for sure. So we're just going to jump right in then. If you do want to look up anything about this one, now that it's in Arizona as well, it's Chandler Police Department. The case number is 2019-83744. 
that's at the top of the document. Some of it, again, I'm just going to summarize and then some of it we're going to read and talk about because some of it is things that we all already know. And some of it you just can't summarize. Like we could summarize, but it's too riveting to summarize and to gloss right over. Fair. So the first part talks about when Charles Vallow was shot. It happened on July 11th of 2019. We are nearing the two year anniversary already of his death. Absolutely insane that it's been that long. I feel good that now there is some justice coming around. We have one piece that made me upset that we learned er earlier today. Yeah. But at least Lori Vallow is going to pay, right? Yes. Her charge here is conspiracy to commit first degree murder. Mm -hmm. So once she's done with her cases in Idaho, the speculation is that she will be extradited to Arizona to go through with this case. I do wonder if she gets the death penalty, if they will. I doubt it. I doubt it. But we'll see. I mean, at least she'll be paying for it one, one way or another. Yeah. 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 So the beginning starts out with synopsis, and it talks about when Charles Vallow was killed. Again, that was July 11th, 2019. And it talks about the caller being Alex Cox, who called 911. The homicide investigation took place and the parties were interviewed. So everyone, you know, that was there that day. And then also when Lori and Tylee returned to the house, we've all seen that body cam footage already. There was concern about a potential bullet strike on the ground near his body. And that was pretty obvious, too. I think they in one of the body cam videos, they mentioned something about the bullets, but it, it's very quick. There was concern regarding the timeline of events that came to light in days following the homicide was also noted on here. And yeah, obviously, right? But I'm still a little disappointed in everything about this case, because if some of these concerns would have been, I don't know, immediately reviewed, more urgency would have been taken, maybe Tammy and the kids could have been spared. I do agree with you. However, I also think that if I was the police officer who was investigating this, perhaps I would have been concerned for Tammy. But I, I don't think I would have immediately been concerned with the kids because it really seemed like what she had was a belief system that was letting her wrap her head around killing her husband so that she could be with someone new. That's what it seemed like to me at that point. I don't necessarily think that they could have foreseen what happened to JJ entirely, but I certainly think they could have foreseen what happened to Tammy. Yeah, that's true. But my concern is before Charles died, how many times did he reach out to police and how many body cam videos are there of him begging for help? Oh, yeah. And saying, I don't know what she's going to do. I don't know what she'll do to the kids. And I feel like if they would have taken all of this seriously, more lives could have been saved. In the weeks following the murder of Charles Vallow, investigators learned that Charles and Lori Vallow were experiencing turmoil in their marriage. Two things about that. I love seeing that it finally says the murder of Charles Vallow instead of the death of, right? Mm -hmm. And then again, just going back to those police body cam footage, Charles begged for help and they literally denied him help. Well, also, here's my thing too, is that no, they didn't find out that their marriage was in turmoil after his death. They knew before that. Mm -hmm. That was widely known. I say widely known, but widely known to law enforcement who had body cam footage, who should have had reports of him needing to have assistance to get into his home right for medical evaluations like this was known absolutely was known and he didn't seem crazy or rambling on it was like i really need help this is what's going on and he seemed as calm and collected as one could be being put in that situation because i'm sure police deal with people that are just like over the top just yeah hard to reason with and i don't think that charles vallow was that hopefully that makes sense yeah so it starts on the first page, but it moves into the second page where they discuss that Charles was worried about Laurie's mental health. 
we've talked about this a whole bunch, especially with her not being competent to proceed in her trial. But there was a mental health evaluation. They talk about how he even told them, hey, she's calling me Ned. Like she's not even calling me Charles anymore. And I feel like that just shows the power of her delusion is like she stopped calling him by his actual name and started calling him Ned. I would be I think I would be really worried at that point. Right. Like, I don't know if I would get to the point where I was like something sinister is going on. I think I'd be like my spouse is is not okay. Yeah. And that's what he did. So they also talk about the attempted murder of Redacted, but it's pretty clear that it's Brandon Boudreaux here. And they talk about that there was a shot that was fired from a Jeep Wrangler that was parked on the street and that he thought it was Alex and that he also blamed Laurie for his divorce from his Redacted his wife, Melanie, because of their extreme beliefs and that he thinks that's the reason why he had a divorce and why Charles was murdered. So I was like, kudos to you to being like incredibly forthright. I think this is why he tried to murder me. This is why my wife was done with our marriage. And this is why Charles was murdered. So they also talk about that redacted, the grandmother of J.J. Vallow. We're going to go ahead and assume it's Kay Woodcock here contacted Detective Moffat because she was concerned about JJ. And we already knew that, right? Like we knew that they performed a welfare check. So that wasn't altogether surprising or really new. Yeah. And it just kind of goes into the timeline of events, right? Yeah. Kay asked for that. The move to Rexburg, just timeline. We know. Yeah. And we're not necessarily going to get into all of that because we've already done that. So we're just trying to bring up the new parts here. Yeah. Yeah. So going down to the we're, we're calling it page three. We don't know which page is actually missing, but these are the, the pages that have been available online for a little while now. So the next page, it lists all the departments that were coordinating their efforts and also at the same time had individual investigations going. Also lists what was being done, reviewed, including search warrants, telephone records, social media accounts, bank records, medical records, email accounts, residences, because those were always changing, and seized electronic devices, which resulted in evidence showing that Charles's death was a planned event and necessary to prevent Charles and others from confronting Lori about her extreme religious beliefs when he came to town on July 11th, 2019. And then it says the death of Charles Vallow was also necessary in order for Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow to marry and fulfill their religious prophecy. Question for you. Do you think that Chad Daybell manipulated Lori Vallow into all of these things because she was out of his league? I mean, how else would he have gotten her? I mean, no, like you would have people who are like different, like conventional attractive levels, right? Like she's like quintessential gorgeous like woman who could truly probably be a model. And he's like average dude. And so I guess my thing is like, I don't necessarily think that had to have happened, but sometimes it certainly seems that way. Well, I think that because they were both technically, I mean, from the outside looking in, they were in happy relationships already, right? Like she had a family with like loving kids, a nice husband who seemed like an all around nice guy, like a good guy. And then he had been married for a long time with Tammy. He had a great family, kids honestly a nice property like that that area is a really pretty area 
I don't think we've talked about it much before, but we've mentioned that Chad was an author, but also I believe that Tammy worked with him on his books. And she may not have been doing the writing, but she was doing the business aspect of it. So they were not just partners in like marriage, but they were also like business partners. So like he clearly valued her intelligence as well. So it wasn't like, oh, I've married my high school sweetheart and things have just fizzled out. They had this life that they built together and continued to actively build. Yeah. I mean, Tammy all around seemed like an awesome mom, a good wife, a good employee. Like everyone liked working with her. It's tragic. It's awful. So it reviews their beliefs and who was pertinent to the investigation. And those names are redacted. We can guess, though, a lot of the players. Also, their abilities, what the light to dark scale was again. And the term zombies is also listed in here. And then here's kind of a part that we knew a lot of it and we've heard kind of rumors of some of them too. But now that it's, you know, documented, it's even more, I don't know, odd, right? So it was discovered that Lori and Chad believed they had extraordinary abilities. Some of these abilities included the power to teleport and cause harm to others. We knew about their portals, right? The ability to call up natural disasters. And that was a rumor going on, I want to say, with Zulema a while ago, too. The ability to pray away demonic spirits attached to others and also visionary capabilities. We know that, too, from I want to say it was like Melanie Gibbs interview with Nate Eaton a while ago, where she talked about how they would pray the zombies away, in a sense, or they would do a prayer and then so many zombies would be killed. Yeah. And it's just weird that they didn't just pray it away. You know, like, why didn't he just naturally die? I know they said he was supposed to. And then he didn't for whatever reason. It also talks about whether someone had a light to dark scale associated with them. And we know that that was Chad. And I think the fact that they have to keep pivoting their belief system to fit into the actions that they're doing just, I think, really underscores the fact that at least for one of them, it was a fluid belief structure that was used as a means to do something. Yeah. In my brain, that's kind of how I see that. So the Lifetime movie has come out at this point. Amanda and I both watched it a little bit begrudgingly. I watched it because I knew that we were going to need to discuss it in terms of like what's coming out and how it relates to everything else, especially because the movie having come out before Voidir means that juries have seen it. And that's problematic. Yeah. But I will say that we read all this and it seems a little like out there. But when you're watching the world's literal worst Lifetime movie that's ever existed. It's a big shoe to fill. Yeah. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Like it was poorly written, poorly acted, poorly researched. It didn't make sense. And if you didn't know this case already, you would have had no idea. No idea. But I will tell you, because Amanda mentioned the portals, which is why I was like, this is the time to talk about it. They show her in her closet portal. And again, we've talked about this before, but Amanda knows this case more than me. And so here's my question for you. So they show her in the movie. Spoiler alert, whatever. I don't care. If you know the case, it's all spoiled, but quote unquote spoiled because it's already a rotten movie. So it's all spoiled. But she's sitting in her closet. And the way that he described the portals to work is that if she goes into it and talks to him, he'll know to call her. And she's sitting in her closet and she's talking slash praying kind of to Chad. And shockingly, he doesn't respond. And she texts him later and was like, I was in a portal. You didn't respond. He's like, oh, yeah, like I couldn't get away. The way that it's shown in the movie, at least how I took it, was like, he was like, I didn't think this through because like, how am I going to know when she's in the closet? I I actually... (laughs) 
Like, I can't predict that. It's humorous. I can't believe that this is a thing. I really feel like they underscore the fact of like how shady it all was. But I just felt like that was the only part where I was like, I feel like you capture the pure absurdity of this. Yeah. Because you watch a grown woman go into her closet, close the door, sit down and talk to this man. And you're just like, what's happening right now? It's hard to believe that this isn't a weird screenplay. Like this is actually what happened. And they discussed portals. And again, I want to say it's it's been a long time. This case has been going for a while. But I want to relate it back to maybe Melanie Gibb or someone talking about how they would communicate through a portal. It's hard to think that someone could get into someone's head that much. I feel like that Lifetime movie actually painted her in a relatively sympathetic position. Mm -hmm. They made her seem like a woman who was brainwashed and convinced of something, right? Like, I don't feel like they made her seem sinister when I think that she is. Yeah. I mean, if you look back to even how callous she could be towards, I mean, in, in this movie, it didn't show what happened to the kids. You knew, but like you didn't see anything. You have no idea what truly happened. And just like how callous she was when Melanie Gibb called into that awkward recorded conversation. Yes. Or even how callous she was towards them searching the property. Right. I think the thing that sticks out in my head the most of her being just really detached and cold is when she was in Hawaii and a reporter was like, just tell us where they are. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go back. You don't need to do anything. Just tell us where they are. And she just smiled and kept walking. And I wanted to believe that she just wanted to prove the world wrong because we all were like, they're dead. Like, there's no way that they're being watched by someone and that she wanted to go, ha ha, guys, my life is under control. I'm doing this and I am the good mother. And I really, really wanted it to be that. But in my heart, I knew it wasn't. No, you're right. It's just so weird to look back. I just feel like that behavior was so out there. Right. Because like if an entire country was worried about your kids, it takes a very special type of person to be like, you don't need to know they're safe. And also, like if they were safe, somebody would have come forward with them. Right. Like and I I totally understand, like, of course, we all wanted to hope they were fine. Right. Until proven otherwise, because also like how could you how could you even imagine what actually happened? Like it was so much worse than what we could have imagined. I think most people imagined or were fearful of like. I think for the most part, most people were like, oh, they've got these kind of kooky beliefs. They're probably with somebody else who has kooky beliefs and is like in a bomb shelter. That would have made sense. That's the only thing that actually would have made sense in my head is if they were with some extreme preppers and they were perhaps in a bunker or some sort of shelter like that. Mm -hmm. But anywho, let's continue on. So the next page talks about their uh, light dark score and how it kind of coincides where like if you share their belief system, then you're light. If you don't, then you're dark. It was good to see that in writing. Yeah. You're like, OK, so we're all on the same page here. Yeah. They also talk about evidence about Charles' murder. And they talk about the first piece was that there was text messages between redacted and Lori. Now, this is what I had mentioned earlier when it was like redacted, the widow of Alex Cox, right? Yeah. So we're, it's Zulema. So the text message is between redacted, Zulema, and Laurie from November 3rd of 2018, which is pretty far back considering, right? Because he wasn't murdered until July of 2019. And the reason they saw this text message is because they seized Zulema's phone after Alex's death, which also is interesting, right? Because he died from blood clots. So the fact that they seized her phone, I find very interesting. 
they knew that all like this web of people had so many deaths i think that's when they were like all right enough like stop killing people we need to just get to the bottom of it yeah i'm like i'm like did you go to high school with laurie and you died just give me just let me search your house i don't trust anything yeah which is fair so I'm going to read the next paragraph because it's one of those pieces that we just can't summarize adequately. So on November 3rd of 2018 at 1400 hours, which is what 240 in the afternoon, redacted Zulema, we think, tells Lori that she was told by God that she is to protect Lori. In January of 2019, redacted, we think Zulema, told Lori that she had a vision that she could create storms and fire and will have the eye of the Lord. So on February 6, 2019, a little after 1600 hours, which is 4 p.m., Lori tells Redacted, we think it's Zulema, telling her that Charles was blocking her gifts. From this point forward, there is specific conversation to cause harm to Charles Vallow, who has also been referred to as a dark spirit called Hiplos, which is new, or Ned. Yeah. So and like, here's my thing. I feel like I always heard Nick Schneider, not Ned, right? So and we, we we mentioned it before, but just like the idea of a dark spirit named Ned sounds ridiculous. Well, it it's back and forth between whoever you're speaking to, because I want to say it's Melanie says one name. There's other terms out there. And then Charles himself on the body cam footage is saying a name. So it was Nick or Ned Schneider before. And that was the only name that we had heard of until this document came out. And now we're like, who is Hiplos? Yeah. Well, and also when you type Hiplos into the Google machine, it doesn't come up with like some ancient being, right? Which is kind of what I expected. I was like, oh, this will be a thing. So the fact that we're now Ned or Hiplos, interesting. So page five is completely redacted. And again, we're saying page five, but it's just the fifth page because we know we're missing at least two pages. Yeah. So the next page or we're client page six, most of it is redacted as well. But then it goes through text message exchanges between Lori and Charles that were seen on Charles's phone. And it says Lori would return to Texas on June 3rd, 2019. Then there's some cryptic texts and it is redacted. But I mean, we can take some guesses. First one is June 3rd of 2019 at 2132 hours and Lori to redacted. We believe maybe Zulema for this one. It says just got home and got JJ to sleep. Let's go spiritually tonight and work on him. We give the timing to the Lord, but we don't need to relent. This is war. Then a little while later on June 19th, 2019 at 2120 hours. And we believe Zulema, which it's redacted to Lori. Oh, can you meet me at the temple in the morning? I have time tomorrow and we can work on Hiplos. And remember, Lori was always going to the temple, right? We know that already. Yeah. Did we know that she was possibly meeting Zulema? No. Then it says, looking into Lori Vallow's web history using blank redacted. I saw that a web search was conducted on June 21st, 2019 for social security disability. Utilizing that URL attached to the web search, it took me to a social security disability application. The form allowed you to enter the applicant's name to be able, and then it continues, to obtain free benefit information. The search is of importance as it would indicate an inquiry as to the benefits that Lori would be entitled to. In a text message that Lori sent to Chad Daybell on July 18th, 2019, which was one week after Charles was murdered, she indicated the following. And again, this went to the next page, just so everyone knows if they're following along. So I talked to the insurance company. He changed it in March. So it was probably Ned before we got rid of him. Rid of him. They can't tell me who, of course, but it's done. I'll still get the 4000 a month from Social Security or SS. It's in plain text. We got rid of him. 
Yeah, rid of him. And also, like, she wouldn't have known that number unless she had filled out that form, right, in advance. Exactly. Which, before we got rid of him, just ringing right there. And so she then has an appointment with the Social Security Administration so that she could get the actual amount of the death benefit. And it says it was close to 4000 So on June 22nd of 2019, Alex is then in the conversations regarding Charles. Alex started to text redacted from redacted. Interesting, right? So through a search warrant, the number was identified to belonging to Alex Cox. So that's how they know that it was him. On June 22nd of 2019, at a little after 1900 hours, Alex sent blank a message. Hey, blank, it's Alex. I thought that that was perhaps the first time maybe he texted Zulema, but I think Amanda thought it was Melanie. Yeah, because if this is a different number, you know, that he may have been texting from, because remember, they all had uh, burner phones, right? It sounded like we know that at least Lori had one. And I'd assume that maybe all of them to say these like evil deed messages would have been redacted. It could be like, because obviously we know Alex and Zulema ended up getting married. So like they probably had some communications outside of that, right? Or we'd hope so. Yeah. But we do know that he was pretty close to Melanie as well. Not Melanie Gibb, but Melanie the niece, right? Yeah. So it really could be either. And the reason why, too, that it just seemed weird is that next message. Yeah. So five days later, redacted to Laurie at 1018 in the morning, they said, do you think there was a way to change Hiplos to the light? So I thought it was Zulema. But when I look at that, I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like the tone of Zulema. Zulema was like, we're about to bring the thunder, right? Like she was not seeming like she wanted to have mercy, if you will. Right. And that's why I'm like, maybe it's Melanie because, I mean, she is the young niece too, right? Yeah. She has kids. She's close to Alex. Maybe she's the one that thought of sparing Charles in a sense. Yeah. And this is pure speculation. I don't know. That's just what my guess. So then on June 29th of 2019, Charles found the fake letter that Lori had sent to blank. And we're pretty sure that's Chad. So they described the letter as being the one that she wrote from Charles to Chad asking for help with the book. It's a little weird that the name is redacted. So we wonder, is it maybe Tammy or is it Chad? So after that, Charles asked Laurie to come clean about their relationship with Chad by the end of the day, or he said he would contact Tammy and tell her about the relationship. So there's clearly now there's a threat that's kind of looming and he's getting ready to blow up Chad's life, which good. Okay, so the next page. Again, most of this page is completely redacted, but it begins that following the discovery of this letter, Charles Vallow began talking to redacted. And then it says Lori and Alex's brother. So Adam would be the likely guess about his discovery as well as Lori's radical beliefs. The two of them communicated with each other to plan an intervention on or around July 10th, 2019. Charles had arranged to come to Arizona and also arranged travel for Redacted. Again, we're going to say Adam because we know from his son, Zach, who recently did an interview with Justin Lum, that his dad had traveled here. So totally makes sense. During this time, Redacted, Lori and Chad continued to message about Charles, a.k.a. Hiplos. The Redacted name, I'm guessing, is Zulema. Now, the bottom part, this is a big part. There's no obvious communication found between Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell to show that he was directly involved with the planning of Charles. Charles Vallow's murder. Lori Vallow found out about Redacted coming to town through her mother and Redacted. Those two, I'm guessing, Adam coming to town and then through her mother and probably her sister Summer would be my guess. But 
I don't like that there's no obvious communication found between Lori and Chad about Charles's murder because he knew. Yes. And so this is where I start to get a little bit like, should we be looking at Chad as a cult leader and Lori as a member of a cult? Because look, she's culpable because regardless of whether she was brainwashed or not, she willfully took a series of steps that got her to where she went right? Mm -hmm. She willfully met and talked and developed a relationship with Chad. And I'm not saying like anybody deserves to be indoctrinated or brainwashed, but she did all those things and it ended in a really terrible way. Or like maybe they were both cult leaders. We don't know. I don't know. But like it certainly seems like that. Well, we talked about that, I think, on our cult episode when we were saying the Ant Hill kids and we're like, who does this sound like? Yes. Yes, we did talk about Chad then. And I think that's one of the things that I have like the hardest time reconciling because traditionally in a cult, you kind of feel sympathy for the members, right? Like there's this person that's convinced them to do all these things. For example, it's our worst example from Ant Hill kids, but the arm, if you know, you know. I wouldn't imagine that I would be able to do that, right? I can't see myself getting there. And I doubt that that woman did either. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like no one thinks, oh, I could be easily brainwashed, but like consistent over time. I I think that they're able to find the right type of person though to prey on. Yes. That's missing something in their life or that, that needs a specific way to be talked to or throw in those beliefs little by little, but they need a type of person. And each of them might even need a different type of person to be able to do this too. Yeah. Well, and also, too, like the idea is you don't just you don't arrive with your children or zombies. You start with a common belief structure and then you add a little and then you add a little like in Anhill Kids. I doubt that anyone started with God is in a different time zone. Right. Like, I don't think anybody started there, but they sure as hell ended there. Right. Yeah. So it's hard. I judge her. I don't like her. I think that she's responsible for the death of her children in the same realm. I also think that she was brainwashed and I don't think that she's not culpable, but I still think like it's a hard mix because clearly like she was well enough to do a heck of a lot of things. So how brainwashed was she? Yeah. Well, and going back to that mental health check, like she passed that with it seems flying colors. So, yep. I don't know. Yeah. So starting on what we call page nine, the first paragraph is highly redacted. There's actually like one sentence, plus all the people are redacted as always. But so it discusses Lori finding out about the intervention and that someone, probably either Janice Cox or Summer Shiflet, provided Lori with continual updates during Adam's visit. So they kept being like, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. They even talk about, so the last sentence says, there is no indication who redacted was talking about killing. And the sentence before that was redacted. So we don't know what it was about. So we think maybe it was a text. That would be my guess. Yeah. And I wonder who else she told, you know, like, does Summer know that something was going down? Because Summer's the one that had Alex stay the night there from what we've heard. Yes. So we know from a while ago that Zulima has a use immunity agreement and that she and Summer Shiflet share an attorney. I think that Summer Shiflet has an immunity agreement. I would be highly surprised if she didn't. I think she does. I think she saw the writing on the wall and was like, I'm going to save myself here. So next they talk about if they wanted Laurie's mother to do a, quote, preemptive strike and confront who we think is Adam. So the next sentence, it says redacted told their mother no and asked that she just collect information. So just like looking at the size of the redaction, 
it looks like it might be summer, not Lori. Just because, and I'm looking at like just like a black box in and of itself. And that could be perhaps the redaction's too big. Maybe it is Lori. But regardless, Janice was collecting information on her own son and providing it to her daughter. Mm-hmm. So that her daughter would not get help. Well, and we know that from another interview, that that's what was happening during this visit. So the third paragraph says, Lori told her sister that she was headed to Alex's house on July 10th, 2019 at almost 4 p.m. During this time, she continued to message Charles and she never once confronted him about her knowing that something was planned. Fishy, right? Like, that's a little weird. Lori reached out to blank and convinced her to cancel a trip to Utah for a wedding, telling her, you can't go at all. We both need to stay here and defend ourselves. This is kind of a sizable redaction. So it makes me think it's somebody who we haven't heard about before. I was thinking that it might be a first and last name. Mm -hmm. And my guess was either they put Zulema again, because it seems like they had like a bigger relationship than we had thought of before, or possibly like Melanie Boudreaux, Melanie Pulowski might be there because her name's kind of long. I thought Melanie Gibb, that that was my guess there. So then Laurie adds, it's coming to a head. This weekend will change everything. So Laurie would then tell Alex, getting sleepy, so I'm gong, I think going, to need you to stay close to me the next couple of days. Redacted, which is a really small one, and it's like maybe three letters, so I think it's Mel. So redacted too, she can't go to Utah. They are planning some kind of intervention, but want redacted, likely three letters, out of the way, so I'm left alone. I need to come get this stuff at your house tomorrow and secure it. Lots to do. Thank you for standing by me. It's all coming to a head this week. I will be like Nephi, I am told, and so will you. Heart. And this, at the end of the document, we'll get into, but what she's referring to with Nephi is a pretty big story. Yeah. So the next morning on July 11th, 2019, at 7.35 in the morning, Charles arrived at their home to pick up JJ. When he arrived, he texted blank, telling him that Alex was there. This is a longer one, but I still think it's Adam. I think it's Adam, too, because they had been planning together. Yeah. Yeah. So blank, we think Adam, told Charles they were planning something. And Charles stated, absolutely. Blank, Adam, likely, indicated that he was supposed to spend the night with Alex, but Lori probably blocked this. Yeah. And that's possibly why when she says I need someone out of the way, I'm wondering if she's referring to Adam because she didn't want Adam to be part of whatever was going to go down. And especially if he was supposed to stay the night with Alex. And if we're right on these names, we could be absolutely wrong. But if he was supposed to stay the night with Alex and she's like, "Mm -mm, this isn't happening. I don't want him near any of this happening. Get him out of the way. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Especially in a situation where it is Alex versus Adam and there is a murder. It's possible that allegiances will change, right? Like in a big way, because it seems like the Cox family fell in line, right? So it would make sense that she'd be like, I don't need someone to muddy this for the rest of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he's the one that's further away from everyone, though. Like he moved out of state. He's like, you guys do you. And from Zach's interview that came up, they all turned against him. Like that whole Cox family turned against both of them. Yeah. But I do wonder, though, if given this situation. Yeah. If they still would. Maybe. Yeah. If he would have been like, look, this is what's happening. But what really stood out to me about this is that Charles texts, right? He texted someone and knew something was up. But he still went in. And I'm wondering if it's just because he was only thinking about JJ and not himself. And that just makes me really sad because he was a good dad. Well, also, things aren't working with your spouse. It's clear that she's with someone else. You're separated. Why would she need to kill you? Right? Like, why would she need to kill you? Like, my brain wouldn't automatically go there. Even if this was this kind of banana stuff, 
I think I would just assume like more of the same, not worse. But also, like, I think perhaps he should have realized that, like, if he was alone with Alex, no good was going to come from that. Right. Well, when he said he was, like, worried to the police officers, I think just his desperation for help watching some of those body cam videos, his eyes, he looks tired. He looks a little, you know, scared or worried. And when he said something along the lines of like, I don't know what she'll do to me. I don't know what she'll do to the children. It's just that stuck with me. And I feel like he knew that she was getting like more out there every time he spoke with her. Yeah. And just something's up. And yeah, maybe he didn't think they were going to murder him at this moment. But he did mention to people, if I end up dead, it was Lori and Alex. So like it was in the back of his mind at some point. I hate that. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I just think like he's like, well, JJ's in there. You know, like I made the promise to JJ. I'm going to go through with this. And again, pure speculation. But I mean, he's never proven not to be a good father, right? If anything, he's proven time and time again that he was a good father, right? So like, I think you're right that that's why he went in. He was like, JJ's there. Yep. Well, it makes my heart really sad. Yeah. All right. So that ended on page 10, or what we're calling page 10. Another big part of this is following the murder of Charles Vallow, Lori took his rental vehicle, which is really weird, and cell phone. The GPS data associated with the phone indicates that the phone left the residence at 749. So Lori then went to Burger King to get food for JJ, Walgreens to get flip-flops for her and Tylee, and finally returned home at 848. Alex Cox would not call 911 until 832 to report the shooting. When reporting the incident, Alex indicated that it had just happened. He was provided with CPR instructions, and he acted as if he was performing the life-saving measures on Charles. It was not until emergency personnel began life-saving measures that they saw blood coming from Charles's body. This would indicate that Alex performed no emergency aid. Based on this timeline, Charles, redacted, would have laid dead or dying for approximately 43 minutes before Alex called 911. During this time, phone records indicate that Alex called Lori. That's a lot of information to take in. Yeah. So what we know, and we already sort of knew this, that Lori had left, right? And now it's just, when did she leave? Did she leave before the shots were fired, as the shots were fired, or did they happen after? My guess is that she left either right as it happened or was getting in the car as it happened because they knew what they were going to do, right? And from my understanding, JJ was already in the car to go to school because Charles was there to take him to school. And then, you know, their story talks about the bat incident. You can watch the body cam footage. I don't think that that was even a thing. I think maybe there was a bat in play, but I don't think that Charles hit Alex with a bat because as everyone has stated, he used to play baseball. And like if you would have hit him with a bat, it would have been a lot more than like a little area on his head that was hurt. He would have been severely hurt. Yeah. What makes me really sad is, yeah, they waited a while to call 911, right? She drove around for a while. I was just going to say there is some cosmic justice to the fact that Alex told 911 operators that he was performing life-saving measures on Charles and that a few months later, when someone was calling 911 for Alex and the operator was saying, you need to do these things, it was Ulema's son. 
he couldn't, like he said he had too much anxiety and he couldn't move him. It feels right. It does. Yeah. Right? Like it feels like some type of like weird justice. Yeah. And we'll come back to this a second. But what I was saying about when she left, the document continues that Lori, Tiley and Alex told investigators about the physical altercation that was started by Charles. During the altercation, Lori left the residence with Tylee and JJ. So during this bat altercation, it seemed like that may not have been the case, but sure. As they were leaving, Tylee and Lori reported hearing a gunshot. I think that they might have still been in the house. That's my guess, though. What was going on with Tylee? Can you imagine how awful that must have been for her to have heard a gunshot from her home when she knows that Charles, who has been a father to her, Yeah. Well, a lot of people have done like body language reading off of the body cam footage. And, you know, like her arms are crossed. She doesn't seem hysterical, obviously, but it looks like she is bottling a lot up. And then, yeah, according to like Zach's interview, too, when he was like, I feel like she wanted to tell me something and it like broke my heart that all of this was just like bottled up in this teenage girl watching everything fall apart piece by piece, person by person. And just like she was alone, like she was so alone. Yeah. And it makes me really sad when I think of Tylee. And then poor JJ not really knowing, like, why are these people gone? Well, the thing is, is though, I'm trying to say this without crying. She wasn't alone because she had JJ. And I think that that's what probably pulled her through because everything I've seen from her, she loved her brother so much that she seemed like the type of person who could like filter her hurt into love and like focus on him yeah well what i meant is like she's alone as like the adult in the situation yes because yeah she's caring for her brother with special needs and having to take care of herself in a sense too while her mom's running around with some random guy and your uncle's killing your stepfather and like i don't know it it breaks my heart thinking of both of them but it continues based on this investigation it has proven how valuable that alex cox was to Lori. His mission on Earth was to protect his sister, and then there's a big chunk redacted. Now, here's another big part. And again, I'm going to review a little bit more of this in a moment, but the shot into Charles's body as he laid on the floor and the delay in calling 911 would also validate their desire for him to die. In addition, Lori told police that Alex was asked to stay at her house to protect her from Charles when he arrived on July 11, 2020. Alex denied this and stated that he stayed at the house because they were going to go to the water park or go shooting on July 11, 2020. So a few things to break down on this. Going back up to when she left and it says that they had went to Burger King and then they had went to Walgreens. I'm wondering why it doesn't state that they dropped JJ off at school because from the body cam footage, at least you don't see JJ come out of the car. You see Lori and you see Tylee, no JJ. So my assumption is she dropped him off at school. They were gone about an hour, right? And so what I did just to see how long it would take, because I truly didn't know where JJ's school was, he attended the Lawrence Institute for Education, and they also call it Life. I pulled up some of the body cam footage from when Charles was murdered, and you can see her street address, you know, the numbers. And at the top of this document, it had the rest of her address. So I put that in, and it looks like Life would only be about a 13 to 15 minute drive. It's about seven and a half miles away. There is a Burger King about three miles from there. So I'd assume they'd go to the one closest to school. Again, this document doesn't say she dropped him off, but my assumption is he's at school. Yeah. So I would assume that they would have went to Burger King, his school, and then on the way back swung around to Walgreens, possibly to waste time until Alex 
basically gave her the okay to return. Like, he's gone. It took this long for him to die. You know, like, why else would he call Lori before calling 911 if he truly wanted to save his life? You know what else I find very strange is that when you look at the body cam footage, this is very much like a planned housing development where there's like, I don't know, like 10 feet of space in between each house. I'm being dramatic. It's not that little, but like the houses are pretty close together. It was early in the morning. Didn't anyone else hear this gunshot? I'm guessing more of that will come to light later because remember when Lori is getting interviewed by the police officer? Ugh, I hate this. And yeah, and it's the ha yeah, hi neighbors. That indicates like the neighbors were probably outside like what the heck is happening? Yeah. Right? In my eyes, that's my assumption is like there was neighbors around like, um, yeah, we heard a gunshot. So I'm thinking maybe when and hopefully this ends up going to trial that those people will come through and be like, yep, we heard the shot at this time or we heard a loud sound at this time. We didn't know it was a gunshot. Something. It's also such a strange time because it's the time of morning when people are getting ready to go to work. Mm -hmm. So they're outside of their home. So like it's very possible that you could hear a sound and see someone leave. Right. Like if it was like 10 a.m. Two in the afternoon when people are typically at like a nine to five job, I feel like it would be less likely. But I just thought it was an interesting time to pick to do this when literally most of the neighborhood is likely home and about to be like outside, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. And then the other part that I took away from this, like not only did he take forever to call 911, especially if she left the house, right? It says that she left at 749 and the 911 was not called until 832, right? So she was gone for about an hour and the length of time that it took, especially if she heard the gunshot when she left to when he called, like, obviously they were looking to kill him. And we'll go into there's another reason to coming up. I feel like most people would have just run back in the house or been like, oh, my God, like, are you OK? Well, a normal person that did not want someone to die. So say normal people. Yeah. And then the fact that they mixed up the stories, too, because from what we've heard, it was Summer saying, I've heard this, like, maybe be there just in case. Right. And Mm -hmm. we don't know. Still, I think Summer knows obviously more than she's letting on to. But I don't know. You know, like, would you trust your sister if she said something? Maybe she was just trying to be a good sister. I don't know. Maybe they thought he was abusive. It could be. And the fact, though, that he was like, oh, we're going to go to a water park or go shooting. Here's the thing. Most adults here, at least, I mean, I'm in Arizona, aren't going to go to a water park without like the kids, right? If it was a school day for JJ, driving to the water park and then having to go get him from school a few hours later, like it doesn't seem plausible. Like that's not a thing that would have gone on. At least like I wouldn't. Or go shooting. Also, Charles's visit was planned. They knew he was coming into town, so they wouldn't have been planning to go to a water park with the kids. Yeah. Right? Or go shooting. That's two very, very, very different things that would probably include very different people. So why would he stay there? Would he be like, Lori, let's go play and shoot. Lori, let's go to the water park. I I don't know. It's just funny that their stories make no sense. This is semi-related. There's a John Oliver episode that talks about guns in the U.S. And he talks about how there are stand your ground laws all over the U.S. If you don't stand your ground law is, it means that you do not have the responsibility to flee before using deadly violence to defend your home. And so there is a gun organization that it's for handguns where they give their members this card. And what the card has is exact information to tell the police. Like it's a verbatim sentence. It's like, I was in my home on this date. The person came at me in order to protect my life. I opened fire and shot them. And it's like... You read it, you fill in the blank. And 
this whole situation seems like that. And because this organization will also hire attorneys for you as well. I hate all of that. Yeah. I hate all of it. And so a lot of people, they use this canned language, basically, and they get away with murder. So it could have been that he knew about this because if he was on like gun ranges and in gun organizations, like this is a very widely known organization. But I just thought that was very interesting that like some of those cases aren't even investigated. So they didn't even think they needed to get their alibi straight. Well, that and I think uh, I'd have to pull up the 911 call again. I want to say he's like, and I shot my brother-in-law in in self-defense. Like he, he says it. Mm hmm. Yeah. So we're on page 11. Top paragraph. As part of this investigation, Alex performed a walkthrough for investigators. Alex indicated that as Charles was coming at him, he shot him twice in the chest while Charles was standing. Trajectory at autopsy discovered that one of these shots would be consistent with this statement. This shot would have gone through Charles and ended up in the baseboard. However, the second shot entered below Charles's rib cage and exited through his upper left shoulder, causing a shored wound and a defect in the flooring where Charles was found. This angle would indicate that Charles was already laying on the floor when the second shot was fired. Now, okay, I understand that they looked over the scene and this would have been pretty obvious, right? Because if someone's laying down, it's going to go up through their ribcage. Like it's not going to be the same as when he's standing. He was a big guy. Yeah. So right then and there, when they were doing even just the quickest of investigations and they noticed where these were, I don't understand why nothing was put in a more urgent matter. You know, like... Why? Look, here's the deal. 43 minutes between shot and death, her leaving, likely when he was shot. This, a known history of marital turmoil, another man in the picture. That feels like it has to be enough for probable cause. Like even without all of this filler detail, it feels like it should have been enough before Alex Cox died. I think that Alex Cox should have been charged. Yeah, that and just what if they could have stopped her from leaving the state? Yeah. If they could have stopped her, in my opinion, I feel like Chad would have been like, eh, if I can't have her, I'm good with my wife. Not saying that's a good relationship, but like Tammy would still probably be alive, right? Kids would have been alive. No, I I think you're absolutely right. I think that the second that Laurie was attainable for Chad, Tammy was doomed. This would have made her unattainable, though, because she would have been arrested had they have moved faster. Yes. It's just infuriating because that is like black and white, right? Yeah. He lied. You did not shoot him twice when he was standing. You shot him while he was already on the ground. And that's not self-defense anymore. If someone is on the ground, that's not self-defense. No. And so like, I will say that there are some times where like, say the person was still coming at you, right? But like... Mm -mm. If their weapon was a baseball bat and they're on the ground, they're not a threat. Well, you have the ability to get out then. You have the ability to get outside or drive away or go to the neighbor's house. You know, it wasn't that he was stuck in a room with Charles. Charles was not blocking a door. Yeah. Also, additional text messages and emails were found that would indicate that the murder was intentional and that went according to the plan that they had. And so one of the messages was sent to Laurie from Chad and it said, I got the inspiration to go back to my original death percentages that helped us track Charles, Ned, etc. Tammy is very close. Her percentage has fallen steadily since Hiplos left. It is encouraging. Heart slash kiss emoji. So was he just making sure that, oh, you'll hold up your side of the deal, you know, aka the murders. And then since you've done your side, I think I'll do mine. Is how I read that. I think that, again, Laurie being attainable was what he needed, right? Like you said a moment ago. I don't think Tammy would have been murdered if Laurie was not attainable to Chad for whatever reason, right? And so I agree. He was like, you first. Yep. And also, I mean, Alex would likely be much more likely to kill a threat to Laurie than a threat to Chad. So maybe it was a way of testing his loyalty to all this. Could have been. So 
Messages on Redacted's phone would also show the intentionality of the murder of Charles Vallo. I think this is Dulema. Mm-hmm. Me too. That they're talking about here, mainly because of like, well, one, the length of the redaction, but also as we talk, you'll hear in a moment. So this was on July 11th of 2019, same day at 2331, so 1130 at night, and it's blank to Laurie. As I was working on Hiplos today in the temple, I was told, quote, he will be taken as he is. IDK, I don't know what that means. Then I was shown to only put light, the brightest light from the top and the bottom at the same time, meeting in the middle. So I've been doing that all day. And then the next day, a little bit after 10 p.m., blank to blank. Oh, okay. Hiplos is gone. It was a nephi and Liban ending. I will tell you more when I see you in person or when you see Laurie in person. I'm leaving for Chile on Monday for two weeks. And then on that same day, blank to Julie, right? I'm just happy it's over. So a few things with this. Who did the text on the 12th there? The blank to blank. Okay, Hiplos is gone. And then it says, you know, that I will tell you more when I see you in person or when you see Lori in person. So obviously, Lori's not involved in this text conversation, right? So is it Alex to Zulema? Because it's a shorter name to a longer name. And also, who knew that Charles was gone the next day? Because a lot of the family members didn't know. A lot of people didn't know for a while. Yeah. So... Zulema is from Chile, so it would make sense that she would be leaving for two weeks to go there. So I think it could be Zulema to someone else. A longer name. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Which could be a first and last name. It could be. You know, actually, what if it's Julie Rowe? Because look at the next one. Yeah. So generally, when you have people in a document, the first time you have them, you have their first and last name. Yeah. So at the end of this page, we have blank to Julie. And we haven't met a Julie so far with a first and last name. And the only Julie that comes up in the story that we know of is Julie Rowe. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen some of her tangents lately, but it's getting pretty intense. Yeah. So her name is short enough where it could be that that's who Zulema was sending a text message to. Yeah. Again, pure speculation. It is obviously redacted. Mm -hmm. So the next page, it continued the I'm happy it's over. And then it talks about the Mormon doctrine and says Nephi is a prophet in the Book of Mormon and is commanded by his father Lehi to return to Jerusalem to obtain brass plates that contain genealogy records from Laban. Nephi and his two brothers, Laman and Lemuel, return to Jerusalem. When Laman attempts to get the plates from Laban, he is chased off in fear of his life as Laban says he will slay him. They later return to Laban with all of their valuables and are chased off again. Nephi later goes to Laban's house and finds him passed out drunk. Nephi is commanded to slay Laban as he was delivered into Nephi's hands. Nephi uses Laban's sword to kill Laban. I'm so sorry if I said those names wrong at all. And then it says where you can find it, and it's in the Book of Mormon, First Nephi's chapters 3 through 4. And so it sounds like when she was said, oh, I'm going to be like Nephi, that's what Nephi does. Mm-hmm. Through interviews conducted with Redacted and Redacted, the belief system regarding the dark spirits and zombies was revealed. Both witnesses were in direct communication with Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell and were being provided instructions regarding their missions to prepare for the second coming of Christ. Both indicated that they were told long before July 11, 2019, that Charles had died and his body was taken over by an evil spirit. Both witnesses gathered with Lori Vallow prior to July 11, 2019 to try and pray the spirits out of the body so Charles' spirit could no longer be in limbo. For the redacted names, the two that have come forward then 
would have been Melanie Gibb. And then I'm guessing Zulema. This could also be Julie Rowe. Julie Rowe. Or I guess, you know, Brandon did come through and say some of their beliefs too when he found out. Yeah. So there's a lot of different people it could be. When Lori found out about Charles and Redacted, I'm guessing Adam, were coming to town, she believed that they were going to kill her for her life insurance money. That's rich. Sorry. Yeah. Remember that came out too in Zach's interview. And it's just so silly. Like no one wants that. You're fine. There's no reason to believe that. On July 9th, 2019, Lori reached out to Redacted for help. Lori told Redacted in a text message that she needed to speak with her ASAP. Redacted replied and Lori indicated that she was on the phone trying to figure out what to do. And then a lot more is Redacted. Lori then asked for assistance of Redacted and Alex Cox to stand by her side for protection. This is when Lori made the comments about being told that she was going to be like Nephi and then a lot more Redacted. Yeah, and I definitely, I don't think that with the assistance of like Redacted and Alex Cox, I don't think that's Zulema there because Zulema already knew that she was going to be like Nephi. So like that would have been a little redundant, but interesting. So now we're to the last page of that we have available and it says redacted and redacted. We think maybe Azulema and Melanie Gibb have both been included that Laurie got her advice and direction from Chad Daybell. When giving instructions, Blank stated that Laurie would always say, I have been told. And so the last part of the synopsis says, based on the synopsis and a myriad of other facts gathered in this case, it is recommended that Laurie Vallow, redacted, be charged with conspiracy to commit murder for the death of her husband, Charles Vallow, on July 11th, 2019. Now, based on what we're going to talk about in a moment, it's pretty clear that that redacted is likely and Chad Daybell. So... Unfortunately, there's another piece of news that came out today, and today is July 7th, 2021, that the county prosecutor decided that Chad Debo would not be charged for conspiracy to commit first-degree murder against Charles Vallow, which that makes me very upset because he clearly had a hand in this, and I hate it. Agreed. What also made me really mad is this was reported earlier from Justin Lum. An attorney decided to decline prosecution due to, quote, no reasonable likelihood of conviction. And it just makes me so mad because if there's not enough evidence, right, like you can't convict someone. But in all of our hearts, we know he played a role in this. Yes. But I mean, I will say that like based on this synopsis, there's not a lot of hard evidence that points to Chad, right? It points to Laurie. And I don't like it, but it's true. It does. It does. But even if she was just like the puppet, right? Like, let's say everything came down from him. He still played a role in it and he's not going to pay for it. It makes me so angry. I'm hoping he's going to pay in Idaho with his life. That's my hope. So those are the two updates that we have for the Laurie Vallow and Chad Daybell case for the murders of Tylee Ryan, JJ Vallow, Tammy Daybell, and Charles Vallow. As always, we'll continue to update. If you want more real-time updates, follow us on social media. We get things out as soon as we can. We do have this document up on our Instagram if you want to take a look at it. And we'll also we'll include case updates on our next True Crime Digest update. Yeah. And with that, have a great rest of your week. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps.